That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of a warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. When you hear that sound, it means you are in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host of this podcast, and I was one mile from the nuclear reactor at Three Mile Island when the accident happened there in 1979. Tomorrow, March 27, will be the 33rd anniversary of Three Mile Island, and I have a special audio report later in this podcast, as well as an exclusive interview with Dr. Helen Caldicott. It's short but powerful. In the meantime, today is Tuesday, March 27, 2012. One year and 16 days since the Fukushima tragedy began on March 11 of 2011, and here is the latest nuclear news. In India, the Kudankulam hunger strike has been attracting international attention. The state government of Tamil Nadu has finally succumbed to pressure by the central government of India and decided to commission the operation of two Russian-built nuclear reactors in Kudankulam. In protest against this government decision, SP Udayakumar, uh, his associate Pushparayan, and 13 others began an indefinite hunger strike in Idinthik Karai, a village near Kudankulam. They are surrounded by more than 10,000 people from the villages around the nuclear power plant. Today is day nine of their fast, which they are promising to go to the death if necessary. The message they wish to put out is this. We are a group of simple people who have been fighting nonviolently and democratically against an untested foreign reactor with all kinds of problems and hiccups. We have not done any harm to anybody or anybody's property in our eight-month-long struggle. The whole country is proud of our people. Moving on to Japan, it has been determined that fear of radiation is a psychiatric disorder. So in other words, if you're afraid of radiation and radiation poisoning in Japan, you're nuts. Some 24.4% of people who were hospitalized in Fukushima with psychiatric disorders in the wake of the outbreak of the crisis at Fukushima did so possibly because of fears of radiation exposure. This is the result. This according to the results of research conducted by psychiatrists at Fukushima Medical University. Of all the outpatients at 27 hospitals in Fukushima Prefecture, 30% of them visited the hospital apparently for reasons related to the nuclear crisis, probably linked to post-traumatic stress and other logical stressors that come as a result of being exposed to that level of radiation. Meanwhile, at Japan, the word from Fukushima is not good, according to the, a the Associated Press. Hardly any cooling water exists inside one of the reactors. TEPCO found fatal radiation levels and hardly any cooling water inside reactor number two. The radiation levels were up to 10 times the fatal dose, and this suggests that there are going to be challenges in shutting down the facility. The containment vessel for the number two reactor had cooling water only up to about two feet from the bottom, far below the 30 feet estimated when the government declared the plant's stability in December. This is not exactly the definition of a cold shutdown. More radiation news out of Japan, none of it good. As of today, March 27th, Chiba Prefecture has accepted the uh, radioactive debris from Fukushima to dispose and burn. 
This is part of the way Japan gets rid of the radioactive material, put gets rid of in quotes, uh, by burning it and then dumping the ashes into Tokyo Bay. There were today radiation spikes in Tokyo at a Shinjuku detector up to triple the normal levels. Arnie Gunderson at Fairwinds.com was in Tokyo recently. He took soil samples from parks, playgrounds, and rooftop gardens around the city and brought them back to be tested in a U.S. lab. Arnie says they show levels of radioactivity that would qualify them as nuclear waste in the United States. Now, you may wonder why Japan has not reacted more strongly to the dangers of nuclear power in the wake of the Fukushima accident. It turns out that the education ministry has been requiring the promotion of nuclear energy as part of the curriculum in the schools. Now, the education ministry has decided to lift the requirement that at least 30% of a school education subsidy be aimed to promote the use of nuclear power and to instead modify its guidelines for the subsidies and make eligible the purchase of teaching materials on the danger of nuclear plants. Such purchases are not allowed under the current guidelines. As of today, there were two earthquakes that hit in northeast Japan. The first one was a 6.4. The second one was a 5.1. It's not certain whether that was an aftershock or uh, a separate earthquake on its own. But both of those are large enough to create the shaking of the ground, which is the last thing you want with a precarious fuel pond. Now, Japan is in an uproar because the emperor's anti-nuclear speech has been censored in the media. Emperor Akihito had gave a speech on the one-year anniversary of the earthquake and tsunami. The 78-year-old emperor had insisted on attending the memorial service, though he had been released from the hospital for heart bypass surgery less than a week earlier. What he said was, quote, As this earthquake and tsunami caused the nuclear power plant accident, those living in areas designated as the danger zone lost their homes and livelihoods and had to leave the places they used to live. In order for them to live there again safely, we have to overcome the problem of radioactive contamination, which is a formidable task. To give a little context, it is rare for Emperor Akihito to publicly take sides on any subject. His normal silence only adds to the weight of his rare public statements on these matters. Here in the United States, the North Anna nuclear power plant is again in the news. An aftershock from last summer's magnitude 5.8 earthquake on the East Coast caused a reported magnitude 3.1 seismic event near North Anna. The Unit 1 reactor declared an unusual event to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and submitted a report after the tremor was felt in the control room. Instead of an interview this week, I want to commemorate the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island. The actual anniversary is March 28th, which is tomorrow, and it is year 33 since that accident happened. What we forget about Three Mile Island is the fear. In the wake of Fukushima, we often find ourselves mentioning the nuclear accident that took place at Three Mile Island, but we don't really examine it consider it in any detail. There are probably individuals listening to this who were either very young or were born after March 28, 1979 when it happened. 
You probably don't know much, if anything, about this accident other than, okay, it happened, nobody died, big deal. And if you're involved in the anti-nuclear movement, you move the discussion to more obvious horrors, Chernobyl and Fukushima. But I can't forget, because I was there, literally one mile away. The first day of the accident, I was able to ignore it by not paying any attention to the media, which was sounding like this. An accident in the water cooling system at the Three Mile Island nuclear power plant in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, forced the company to call a general emergency and shut down part of the plant for an unspecified period. It roared uh, with a, uh, a tremendous uh, roar of releasing steam. It woke me up. Uh, and uh, I looked out the window and I saw this uh, huge column going up in the air and roaring. Everything is under control. There is and was no danger to public health and safety. There was a small release of radiation to the environment. All safety equipment functioned properly. Metropolitan Edison has been monitoring the air in the vicinity of the plant constantly since the incident. No increase in normal radiation levels has been detected. The situation is more complex than the company first led us to believe. We are taking more tests, and at this point we believe there is still no danger to the public health. That was a lie, because shortly after the accident took place, a helicopter going overhead detected a large radioactive plume that had been vented from the reactor. As the nuclear spokespeople kept assuring us that there was no danger and that everything was all right, in the control room of the reactor, frightened engineers and plant operators and company executives tried to figure out what they were going to do. What follows is a recording from a dictaphone, an early and rather crude recording device, that was accidentally left on. It recorded what the people we count on in a nuclear accident sound like as they try and figure out what to do. The sound quality is not great, but listen closely, because it creates a picture that is both shocking and important for you to understand. What was the time scale involved there? Hours. Hours before what? Before you had a core melt. Before you had a core melt? Uh, you would have hours till when you were generating fission products uh, in a core melt kind of situation through the containment. changed. 
The second day of the accident, as the reactors leaked radioactivity into the environment, I again ignored the media. It was easy to do with the friends I was staying with. We weren't, we didn't have a television set. We didn't listen to the radio. So I just got up and walked over a mile into Middletown to see what was going on. I stood around outside talking with people for long periods of time. I waited for a bus outside, breathing deeply of the beautiful Pennsylvania springtime air. Meanwhile, the media continued. Here's some of what I wasn't paying attention to. The new information is this. The accident sent ionized radiation beaming to the plant's four-foot-thick walls. Consequently, the metal shield that protects the nuclear fuel may have been damaged. Much of leakage radiation is coming from our auxiliary building and some water that's just accumulated on the floor. We're presently pumping that up. That'll be contained in tanks. And once that's accomplished, well, then the, the radiation level releases uh, should be should stop. The only way... Evacuation area 
was at that time listed as only five miles and only for women who were pregnant or for very small children. We did not wait. My friends came back to get me, and we drove away to friends of theirs 150 miles away, hoping that it was far enough. That's where I stayed until I returned back to my home in Los Angeles. What's it been like here uh, since Wednesday? Conflicting statements from the governor's office, the NRC here, the NRC in Washington, and the company Metropolitan Edison that owns the plant. There's been a severe communications problem uh, getting information back to Washington. I was there. I think we're very close to a, a chaotic situation. Part of it, I think, is a lack of credibility of what we're being told. Part of it's the confusion that's coming forth. I think it's inexcusable that we leave a private utility in full command of the situation. Uh, being advised and pulled and tugged and fragmented by the structure there. How can you say it's not an accident when the radiation is being detected as far away as 16 miles? The, the accident did not occur inside uh, the reactor in the slightest. It was a, uh, a feed pump uh, connected to the turbine outside of the reactor area. Now, that was a failure of a piece of machinery, and therefore it was an accident of a, with regard to, it wasn't an accident, it was just a failure of a piece of machinery. There's also a bubble in the reactor vessel that means that any change in the hydraulics of the core have to be carefully monitored. So we're looking very carefully at the way the applicant intends to get the core to a cold shutdown condition. Uh, there's no relationship between that and what is thought of as a nuclear accident. So when is an accident not an accident? when it takes place in a nuclear power plant. You know, we forget that the fear raged along the East Coast. With news reports like this, with the confusion, people jammed the highways fleeing from the Middletown Harrisburg area. People in New York evacuated to New England, and everyone worried if they had gotten far enough away. The media covered the unfolding disaster with little interference at that time. Walter Cronkite, in particular, anchored a fine and angry special report on CBS, portions of which are up on YouTube. I suggest that you take a look at it. People felt threatened, angered, outraged, all of which are appropriate responses to a nuclear accident. I can't come to any other conclusion than that early Wednesday, that reactor had a loss of coolant accident. And it would seem to me that the core may very well be in the process of melting right now. My journey back from the horror that was Three Mile Island took years and included a long stretch of post-traumatic stress before we knew the term, compulsive overuse of alcohol and food, and the decision not to have children rather than risk giving birth to a mutant. When pro-nuclear forces state nobody died at Three Mile Island, they are not taking into account the offspring I never had. We need to remember the fear that came from living through Three Mile Island because the fear that was created then stopped the nuclear industry dead in its tracks. It forced people to wake up, to become fearful, and then turn their fear into anger and outrage, and then take that anger and outrage and turn it into action against the nuclear power industry. As a result, no new nuclear reactors were licensed from 1979 until 2011, when the decades of pro-nuclear public relations and disinformation, when those campaigns finally took hold. 
Now the public has been sold a toxic bill of goods that nuclear is, quote, clean, green, and sustainable when it's really the most deadly form of energy generation ever invented. We must consider that fear because it is exactly what any one of us will be feeling if the sirens go off and announce a new accident has happened at a nuclear reactor. One-third of all Americans live within 50 miles of a nuclear reactor. If an accident happens, there's no way you're going to get out. It's simply not possible. Now, I pray that that never happens. The last thing I or any anti-nuclear activist wants to be able to say is, I told you so. But we are none of us safe as long as nuclear reactors continue to operate and generate radioactive waste with a half-life of tens of thousands of years. In other words, in human terms, forever. The appropriate response to the threat posed by any nuclear reactor is fear. So I challenge you to feel that fear and turn the energy of fear into anger. And then use the energy of anger to fuel action to stop these horrors. What is at stake is nothing less than the future of life on Earth itself. My thanks and gratitude to Mark Kaplan, who posted Voices from Three Mile Island on YouTube, and Adam Curtis, whose film A is for Adam provided excerpts from the dictaphone recording. Links to both of these will be on NuclearHotSeat.com, and I invite you to go there and to watch both complete videos as they are very important. In closing today, I did have the opportunity last week to hear Dr. Helen Caldicott speak uh, at a private event in Santa Monica, California. And while there, I was able to interview her, a mini-interviewette that took place in the corner of the kitchen for about one minute. I would like to use hers as the final input on this week's episode of Nuclear Hot Seat. Dr. Caldicott, for the listeners of Nuclear Hot Seat, they had some questions for you. And one of them is, is there any place on Earth that is not yet polluted with radiation? Yes, much of the southern hemisphere is not, because the two air masses do not mix at the equator. However, the ocean currents do, and a huge quantity of radiation, almost unimaginable, has been tipped into the ocean from Fukushima. And, of course, fish swim thousands of miles, and ocean's currents go from north to south. So that's a problem. But the and we had British tests in Australia too, which polluted some of Australia. Um, but we are much less polluted in the southern hemisphere than the northern hemisphere. So if you would want to take a family someplace that would be safer and could get out of, say, the United States or any place yeah. in the northern hemisphere, what would you suggest? I'd go to Australia or South America. Is there one question you've always wanted to be asked in an interview and haven't, or a response you've wanted to give that you haven't had an opportunity to give yet? Why haven't we saved the Earth yet? Why haven't we saved the Earth yet? Good question. Let's get going. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, March 27, 2012. You can find us at NuclearHotSeat.com, on Facebook, on iTunes Podcasts, and on the Nuclear Hot Seat webpage. If you look at the upper right-hand corner, you will find links to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to the RSS feeds of our podcast so you don't have to hassle with iTunes. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart 
of the art of communicating. Reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call now. Whatever you do, don't go back to sleep. Be safe. Be well. I'll speak with you next week. Bye-bye.